Shema Yisrael. Welcome to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries with Aaron Budgen. Aaron discovered Jesus is his Messiah while preparing to be a rabbi. He now teaches for several organizations and is the teaching pastor for Living God Ministries. Strongly distinguishing between the Old and New Covenants, Aaron presents the scriptures from a Judaic and historical frame of reference. Join Aaron now as he reveals the reality foreshadowed and the new life we can now experience because of what the Lord Jesus accomplished for us. I'm presenting a series of programs on the subject of the Sermon on the Mount, and today's program is a continuation of the previous broadcast. Now, in the previous broadcast, I was addressing a very difficult passage in Matthew chapter 5, and the way that I dealt with it was by explaining that Matthew's gospel was not originally written in Greek, it was originally written in Hebrew, and then it was translated into Greek, and then it was translated into English, and the translation from Hebrew to Greek did not convey, in my opinion, what Matthew was intending to say, and so in the previous program, I addressed verses 31 and 32 from the point of view of the Hebrew manuscript that I have of the Gospel of Matthew. And in today's program, I'm going to use that manuscript again to deal with another complication that I see here, a potential complication, and that's found in the following verses. If I continue to read from verse 33, it says, Again, you have heard that the ancients were told you shall not make false vows but shall fulfill your vows to the Lord. But I say to you, make no oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is the footstool of his feet, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. Nor shall you make an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black, but let your statement be yes, yes, or no, no, anything beyond these, is of evil. Now, again, as I explained in a previous program, what most people will do is they will take this and then they will say, okay, so whatever you do, never make an oath. Never do that. Always say yes or yes or no or no or affirm or whatever, but do not swear, do not make an oath by anything at all. And if you do that, then you will live according to Jesus' words you will obey what Jesus has given to us. And I have been explaining that that was not the intent of him saying these things to the people when he was presenting his Sermon on the Mount. That was not the purpose. The purpose of him saying these things was to teach people that they cannot live in obedience to the commandments adequately. They cannot do that. And this is a very serious subject in Pharisaical Judaism, this idea of making oaths or not making oaths. This is a very important subject. Now, the reason why it is an important subject is because they created this whole system of law in addition to the Mosaic law with the philosophy, with the idea that if they live in obedience to these laws, then they will never come within the boundaries of violating the Mosaic Law. And I have given some examples already in this series. For example, I gave the example of the Sabbath Law, that you never walk on the grass on the Sabbath day. If you walk on the grass on the Sabbath day, then your foot might accidentally hit a stalk of wheat, for example, and you would knock the grain off of the wheat, and if you did that, then you would be guilty of harvesting grain on the Sabbath day, that this is an example of how you can create a lifestyle to ensure that you do not violate the laws of God. Now, 
What's important to recognize at this time, what I really want to emphasize in this program, is that you cannot do that with all of the commandments. It's not possible to do that. Now, again, because, first of all, there is no way that you can succeed in obeying all of the commandments. And the other reason why you cannot do this with all of the commandments is because you're not going to be able to do enough. You're not going to be able to cover all the possibilities, all of the combinations. This is one of the reasons why they wanted the Messiah. They expected the Messiah would come and he would provide all of the necessary laws so that they could complete all the possibilities, all of the combinations to live in obedience. But it's never going to happen. There's too much. Not only is it impossible, but the size, the magnitude is so great that you would never be able to accomplish it anyway. Now, in order to deal with some of the laws, they could not create a fence law in this sense or a principle of some kind, some way of living. Some of the laws, they couldn't accomplish that. For example, with making false vows or not fulfilling your vows, how can you stop someone from making the vow to begin with? That is not possible. You're not going to be able to come up with a law to keep someone from making a vow that they eventually do not keep. So in order to be successful, in order to succeed in living in obedience to the Mosaic law, you had to have provisions. You had to have ways out. You had to have means of escape in the event that you found yourself in a circumstance or in a situation where you have made a vow, you have made a commitment, and you are not going to be able to fulfill that commitment, or you decide not to fulfill that commitment even though you are able. There needs to be a way out. And so this is another aspect of Pharisaical Judaism in order to ensure obedience, and that is to find some way to either negate a commandment with a commandment, or to establish a situation or circumstance so that you would never violate the commandment, even though, from Jesus' point of view, you might very well violate the commandment. Let me give you an example concerning blasphemy. According to Pharisaical Judaism, you would never be able to commit blasphemy unless you used the name of God in the process of expressing your blasphemy. Well, no one knew the name of God. They did not know what his name truly would be or how it would be pronounced, and so it was not possible to ever commit blasphemy. And in that way, they negate the commandment of God for blasphemy because according to their law, it's not possible to blaspheme. It's very similar here. In order to deal with the risk of making an oath that you do not keep for whatever reason, in order to ensure that you never violate the law of God concerning making false oaths, you never make an oath, that's how they dealt with it, you never make an oath in his name. If you do make an oath, you make an oath in another name, or according to your head, or according to the earth, or Jerusalem, or whatever. This is what they said, you make the oath in some other name, not in the name of God, and if you do that, then if you violate your oath, then you have a way out because you did not make the oath in the name of God. Now, there is a problem with this, and that is because there was a commandment that God gave where he said you are to swear in his name. You are to make oaths in his name. For example, Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 13 
Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 20, that you are to make oaths in his name. You are to swear in his name, the holy name of God. You are to do that. And so what they did was they said, okay, listen, if we are going to do that, then we have to keep them. And so in order to obey this law, we will never make the oath in his name. And so we will never violate this commandment by not fulfilling the oath. So they created a law that effectively negated the commandment of making oaths and swearing in his name. They negated that by giving this additional commandment that we are going to make oaths, but we are going to do it in another name. We are going to do it in our own name. We are going to do it in the name of Jerusalem or by our head or by his throne or whatever. Now, what happened through that was that they then found a way to escape any oaths that they made because if they did not want to fulfill an oath that they made or if they were unable to fulfill an oath, then they could just say, well, listen, I didn't swear in his name. I sweared in something else. I made an oath according to something else. And so because of that, I am not obligated to fulfill this. This is my way out. And this means I have not violated the Mosaic law. Now, what happened as a result of this was that they now had a way to make false oaths. They could legitimately make a false oath or they could swear falsely. They could swear falsely if they swore in another name or in something else besides the name of God. They could legitimately swear falsely because they did not swear in his name. And so not only was this a way to escape any oaths that they made, but this was a way that they could legitimately make false oaths, false agreements. And because of this, they could believe amongst themselves that they were living in obedience to the Mosaic law, but of course, they are not. So Jesus says something else. He says, if you are going to make an oath, then keep it. That's what he says. Make sure you do. Now, it's very difficult to see that here because in the translation that we have, it says that Jesus said, make no oath under any circumstances. Just say yes or yes or no or no. Well, if you say yes or yes and no and no, and you don't fulfill what you say, it is the same thing. You are still making a false oath. You are still swearing falsely. You are making a false commitment. You are not fulfilling your commitments. That's the reality. And so I don't believe that he's saying don't swear at all. I believe he's saying something else, especially because, again, if Jesus truly said you are not to make an oath at all, if that's what he says, then he would contradict Moses. And I don't believe he's contradicting Moses. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 13, chapter 10, verse 20 says you are to make oaths for Jesus to say you do not make an oath At all or under any circumstances, that would be a contradiction of the Mosaic law. And so that was a concern that I had and I needed to find an answer for that concern. I looked into the gospel that I have of Matthew in Hebrew and I found an answer to my concern. The answer that I found was that there is a word that was not translated, that failed to make the translation from Hebrew into Greek, and so definitely it failed to make the translation from Greek into English. That's how I found the answer to my concern. But what I want you to see is is that, first of all, the commandment says you are to swear, you are to make oaths, and the Pharisees were swearing falsely. They were making 
false commitments, false agreements, and they believed that they were within the boundaries of the Mosaic law by making these commitments without swearing in the name of God. Now, he begins in verse 33 where he says, Again, you have heard that the ancients were told you shall not make false vows, but shall fulfill your vows to the Lord. But I say to you, make no false oath at all. The word false should be in there. Do not swear falsely at all. That would be the more correct translation. Because yes, they know that you are not to make false vows. They know that. Or you are not to swear falsely. They know that. They never did that. The reason why they never did that in their mind was because they never vowed in the name of the Lord. So, if they didn't vow in the name of the Lord, then the vow could be false and they would not violate the commandment that said, do not violate your vows, those that you make in the name of the Lord. They will say, well, I didn't violate those vows. I violated other vows. And he says, do not swear falsely at all under any circumstances. Do you swear falsely? If you swear, if you make an oath, you always keep it. You see, they were not obedient to Moses enough. This was not a matter of them adding a law that Jesus would say, let's take that law away because it's more than what Moses expected. It wasn't like the Sabbath law where Jesus would say, listen, you can walk on the grass. In fact, he walked right through the grain fields on the Sabbath day on one occasion. It wasn't about taking away something that was in addition to what Moses said. In this case, it's taking away something that kept them from going far enough in their obedience to Moses. That's the difference between this situation and other situations where Jesus was confronting the Pharisees over what they believed and what they taught. So a more correct translation of verse 34 would be to say, but I say to you, make no false oath at all or do not swear falsely at all under any circumstances. And then he goes on and he gives the examples that they would use in order to allow themselves or in order to justify in their mind their ability to make a false oath. They said that if you swore by heaven, then your oath could be false. You would not be obligated to that. In this context, Jesus is saying, listen, if you swear by heaven, you're still obligated They would say that if you swear by the throne of God, you would not be obligated. But Jesus is saying that if you do swear by the throne of God, you are still obligated. Always fulfill your oaths and never make a false oath. Never do that. In verse 35, or by the earth. Yes, they would say if I swore by the earth, then I would not have to keep it. Because I did not swear in the name of God, I would not be violating the law that God gave. And Jesus would say, listen, if you swear by the earth, you are still obligated to that. Or by the footstool of his feet, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. Nor shall you make an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. What he is saying is, is that if you do swear in this way, then you are still obligated. But listen, don't bother going into these types of oaths anyway. Don't do that. That's what they were doing. They decided that if they made oaths in this way, they would be obligated. Jesus is saying, first of all, if you make oaths in these ways, you are still obligated. Don't make the oath falsely because you would still be in violation of the law for making a false oath. But beyond that, don't ever make an oath like this anyway. 
So if you do, you're still obligated. But the fact of the matter is that you are not to make oaths like this at any time under any circumstances. And I'll tell you why. The reason why is because they were required by the Mosaic law to make all of their oaths and to always swear in the name of God, which would be a declaration that if they fail to fulfill what they required, then they would be calling upon divine judgment of God in order to intervene and find some way to punish them and correct the situation as best that the living God could. That's effectively what that means. So the intent of this has nothing to do with trying to get us to say yes, yes, no, no, instead of I swear or I will definitely do this in the name of God. has nothing to do with that at all. It has to do with the situation where the Pharisees found a way to swear falsely so that they could claim that they were living in obedience to the Mosaic law when in reality they were not. And so in the context of the Sermon on the Mount, the Lord Jesus is saying to the people, listen, your righteousness needs to exceed the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees. It needs to go beyond what they are doing. Not only are you to make oaths and swear in the name of God according to the law of Moses, not only are you to do that, but you also are not to ever swear falsely, even though the Pharisees are teaching that you can under certain circumstances, or you can make an oath and there is a way to get out of it because you can't fulfill it or whatever, and still not violate the law of God. Jesus is saying you would still violate the law of God. We have to exceed that righteousness to get up to the standard of Moses, to get up to it. So there are two different situations, again, with the Pharisees. The first situation has to do with additional laws that Jesus was taking away. In this situation, it had to do with additional laws that negated commandments that they needed to observe, and Jesus said, listen, I'm going to take away what the Pharisees are saying so that you can move on and reach up to the standard of Moses. You can now pursue a commandment of Moses that you have been ignoring, that you have not been following. So what is he doing again in this context? He is teaching Moses. So from the people's perspective, the way that he presented the Sermon on the Mount It was as if he was adding to the laws of Moses, as the Pharisees were adding to the laws of Moses. But in reality, what he was really doing was teaching Moses. He never went outside of the boundaries of Moses. He did teach the law, and he never really taught anything additional to that. The additional statements that he made, as I have said in previous programs, he said things about the condition of a person's heart. The law actually does address those things. That yes, being angry with someone is the same as murder. Well, in effect, that is in the law. For example, Leviticus chapter 19 verse 18. Never bear a grudge against your neighbor. There are commandments that address the issues of a person's heart. So from their point of view, they would see him adding to the laws of Moses liberally as the Pharisees did. But in reality, Jesus never did really go outside of those boundaries. He always stayed within the boundaries of Moses. But again, because they were not understanding and they were not believing and they were not teaching 
the law of Moses to the extent that it needed to be taught, there was the perception that Jesus was going outside of those boundaries. But Jesus' ministry was all about the law of Moses because, believe it or not, it is adequate. It is enough. There is enough there in order to lead a person to the point of total, absolute despair so that they will see that they have a need for the mercy of God. And so at the end of Matthew chapter 5, in verse 48, he says, Therefore you are to be perfect, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Now, I want you to think about this from a new believer's point of view. I would like you to just take a moment, let's step back for a minute, and consider how people are using the Sermon on the Mount, in general, in Christianity today. The way that they are using it is to disciple new believers, to teach a new believer how to live the Christian life. That's how people are using it. And people say that you will be blessed if you do everything that Jesus says. They say very honestly and truthfully that you will never be able to do everything that he requires, especially verse 48 where he says, be perfect as God. Another translation says, be as mature as God. But what does that mean, to be as mature as God? To me, that's the same thing. You're still needing to be as perfect as God is. The point is, is that people will look at this and they will see, you know what? We're not going to be able to do this. How do we justify this? Well, I can tell you how people justify this. They say, well, we definitely will not be able to achieve perfection as God, but we should try to do that. We should try to do that. Now, from a lost person's point of view, I would tell them that. I would say, you should try. But from a saved person's point of view, I'm not going to tell them to do that because the intent of trying to do something that you cannot do is to show you that you can't. That's it. So that you will turn to God for his grace and mercy. But if someone has already turned to him for his grace and mercy, why are we taking them back to the law so that they can be led to the point of realizing that they have a need for grace and mercy? What does that mean? Is that the Christian life? The Christian life is you discover that you have a need for forgiveness Grace and mercy from God, and so you receive that from him, and then you now go and you study the scriptures and you pray to God so that he will show you that you have a need for his grace and mercy and forgiveness. This creates a cycle for which there is no end. There is no end to this. When are you ever going to stop and say, I am now going to rest in the forgiveness of God? When you take this approach, it is not possible to ever stop and say, I will now rest and believe in and trust in what God has already done for me. You will continually be told and encouraged to live a life that you cannot live. Is that the Christian life? Is that what it's about? We have now been saved so that we can now live a life that we can never live. You thought he wanted you to be perfect before, but now he really wants you to be perfect, and he knows you can't be perfect either. So in the law, we tell people to be perfect and holy and righteous and obedient, to stop sinning. They can't do it, and so we give them the gospel, and now after they have the gospel, we tell them, again, you still can't do it. You see what I mean? It makes no sense at all when you understand what God has accomplished for us already. It makes no sense. This is not the Christian life. The Christian life is not about trying to be like God. It's not about trying to be like Jesus. It's not about trying to do everything that 
Jesus told us to do. It's not about that. It has nothing to do with that at all. Is that the gospel that I should be promoting? Should I be doing that? Should I be going around telling people, listen, I've got some great news for you. This is great news. I have decided to devote my whole life to trying to be someone who I will never be. To trying to live a life that I will never be able to live. Isn't this exciting? Won't you join me in this? Won't you join me in this effort of trying to do something that we will never be able to do? Isn't that good news? Won't you join me in trying to be a person that we are never going to be? Don't you want to live that way? Don't you want to live your life trying to be someone who you are not? The only way that you can ever experience any peace in your heart is to pretend. That's it. That's the maximum you can possibly hope for as a Christian, is to pretend to be someone that you are not. And on occasion, I have to, I have to say that I have met some people who claim to be Christians who, in my opinion, might be pretending. They might be pretending to be somebody that they're not. And personally, from what I have discerned, this is where they're coming from. This is where they get this attitude. Be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. You can't do it, and so fake it until you make it. That's how people live. I don't think that that's what Jesus had in mind. I personally believe that the Christian life has to do with something entirely different. That the Christian life has to do with discovering what he has done for us, discovering what he has given to us, and living our lives, trusting in what he has already accomplished and living our lives with what he has given. It has nothing to do with us trying to be somebody that we can't be. It has nothing to do with trying to live a life that we know we will never live. It has nothing to do with trying to be as perfect as God. It has to do with recognizing that we will never be as perfect as God. He is perfect. Rest in his perfection. Rest in that and be thankful for what he has freely given to us. And now live our lives on the basis of what he has accomplished instead of trying to live our lives on the basis of what we are trying to accomplish. You can't do both. Either you rest in what he has done or you find some way to rest in what you do. There is no other way. And I will continue in the next broadcast. You have been listening to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries. You can hear all of our programs for free through our radio archive at livinggodministries.net. That is, livinggodministries.net. Do help us develop new radio programs and continue broadcasting on this and other radio stations. Send your contributions to Living God Ministries, P.O. Box 383-53, Colorado Springs, Colorado. 80937 or use the donation link on our website livinggodministries.net that is livinggodministries.net